Take a moment and name the place where you need the indescribable God in your life. We're going to talk about Jesus as the light of the world today. Where do you need his light? Where is there darkness? Where might there be discouragement? Where do you need wisdom, direction? Pray for that light in that place where you most need the light of God today. Father, that's my prayer as well. I pray that you'll shine your light even now in this time in your word. I pray, God, that you'll speak your light into our dark, your hope into our need, your joy wherever we need your joy today. And I pray that as your gift for me and for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's start with some good news. In the news, this elk lived for two years with a tire around its neck. You think, well, how's that good news? Well, it's about to be good news here in just a second. So how did an elk get a tire around its neck? Well, two years ago, before it had antlers, it somehow stuck its head through that tire. Tire slid down around its neck. Antlers grew. It couldn't get it off. It was just kind of wandering around in Colorado with a tire around its neck. A place called Pine, Colorado. It became kind of famous out there for that. The authorities, the game authorities said, if you ever see the elk with the tire, call us and we'll come try to help it out. So we could go yesterday. Guy sees the elk with the tire at his front door in Pine, Colorado. Elk wander around there, I guess. Called the authorities. It was still there when they got there. They were able to anesthetize it. They had to cut off the antlers, which apparently doesn't hurt an elk as much as it sounds like it would. And then they were able to get the tire off of the elk. And now we have a tireless elk (laughs) on at least two levels, right? Wandering around in Colorado. If only the rest of our problems were that easy to solve, right? Don't we wish? So this is David Amos, a member of parliament in Great Britain, who two days ago was meeting with constituents at a Methodist church and was stabbed to death. They've arrested the perpetrator, and they consider it an act of terror. You probably heard about the explosion in Afghanistan Friday at a mosque, 47 dead. More word out about overdose deaths. You can see how they're climbing. What really struck me yesterday was a word in the news that 47% of Americans say they have a friend or a family member who has struggled with drug addiction. 47% of Americans. Half of us here today by that number, would have a friend or family member who has at some point struggled with drug addiction. And then this is really the news leading the news. In Haiti, 17 missionaries and their families kidnapped yesterday. They were on their way from a site visit, an orphanage visit, back to their compound when they were kidnapped. It's happening a lot in Haiti right now. Six-fold compared to last year. President was assassinated in the summer. You know about the earthquake in August. Gangs are ruling the country. And now 17 missionaries and their children, families, are asking us to pray, as we will today. We'll close today specifically by praying. So, in the dark world like that, aren't you grateful that Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light 
of life. That's the promise we're claiming today. We're in a series on the I am's of Jesus, seven times in the Gospel of John, where Jesus makes these incredible, monumental I am claims. Last week, I am the bread of life. This week, I am the light of the world. As we're going to see in a minute, this was a staggeringly audacious thing for Jesus to say. I mean, it'd be amazing for anybody, right? If I stood here and said to you, I am the light of the world, you'd think, well, now, wait a minute. You know, how did you think you wound up God. I mean, how did that happen? But in Jesus' day, in Jesus' culture, to make this claim was even more audacious and even more on that level miraculous and is the claim we're going to claim today, wherever you need his light. So the first sentence tells us a lot about Jesus. Second sentence tells us a lot about ourselves. So let's take it apart. Jesus spoke to them saying, I. It's emphatic in the Greek. I. You could translate it I and I alone. He says, I am not I could be, not I used to be, not I will be when I return, not someday in heaven, right now, present tense, I am, he says. The definite article, only. There is no other. Not down in Jerusalem with the priests or the Sadducees or the Pharisees or the Essenes, not over there in Rome with the Caesar, not with your business or your success or whatever it is you're looking for. I am the, he says, light of the world. What an incredible statement, especially in his day. The Bible says of God, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? I could fill up the screen with all the places in the Old Testament that God is called the light of the world. Remember, G, remember the Lord's acts of creation in Genesis. The world was formless and dark, and um, the Spirit of God hovering over the surface of the deep. And the Lord said, let there be light, and there was light. The Bible consistently says God is light. So for Jesus to say He is light is to say He is God. Exactly the same thing. All across the Old Testament, it was predicted that the Messiah, when the Messiah came, would bring the light into the dark. Here are some examples. Isaiah 9, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep shadow, on them light has shone. Isaiah 42, I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind. Isaiah 49, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And now here's this itinerant rabbi carpenter from a town so small it's not mentioned even once in the entire Old Testament standing up and saying, that's me. What you've been reading about and hearing about since Isaiah 700 years ago, what you read about back in Genesis 1, that's me, he says. And not just there. John 9, 5, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. John, his best friend, said of him, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. That's what Jesus says about himself. Now, what does the I am say about us? Whoever follows will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So let's take that apart. Whoever. Even if you're Peter and you deny him three times, you can still preach the sermon at Pentecost. Even if you're Paul and you're arranging for the death of Christians, you can then become the greatest apostle, missionary, evangelist, theologian, preacher in Christian history. Even if you're an atheist like C.S. Lewis, you can become the greatest apologist of the 20th century. Even if you're a woman I met in Bangladesh named Asiya, who was so poor 
She had one small hut in which she lived, had two tiny wooden stools for furniture. When Abraham Sarker and I were invited into her hut to talk with her, Abraham translating for me, and I shared the gospel, and she sat on that stool, and she gave her heart to Jesus, and I wish you could have seen her before and after. So impoverished and yet so rich. Whoever. Whoever applies to a friend of Janet's and mine, who owns one of the most lucrative hotel chains in the world, and was told some years ago, was stayed, happened to stay in one of his hotel rooms one night and discovered there was pornography available in his room. And the next morning, he called the chief operating officer for the entire global chain and said, take it out. And the COO said, do you want to know how much that's going to cost you? And he said, I don't care. Take it out. Whoever's whoever. Whoever's you and me. You see any conditions there? See any qualifications? Whoever, no matter where you've been, no matter where you are, no matter where you think you're going, no matter what you've done, no matter what you haven't done, whoever, Jesus says. But here's the trick. Whoever follows, and he says follows me, not just believes in me, not just shows up in chapel to hear someone talk about me, not preaches sermons about me or writes sermons about me or writes articles about me, not whoever tries to be a good person and says they're a Christian and probably are, probably some point in their life trusted Christ as their Lord, whoever follows. So I looked it up in the Greek. You know what it means in the Greek? Follows. That's what it means in the Greek. It means he leads, you follow. It means where he goes, you go. If you follow somebody, that means where they go, you go. No matter how hard it is, no matter how unpopular it is, no matter whether you want to or not, you follow. Jesus says, whoever follows me, not the preacher down the street, not the guy on TV, not the president, not the governor, not the mayor, not the CEO, not the boss, not the employer, whoever follows me. Present tense, 24-7, whatever you ask, whatever it takes, whatever the cost, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Not could not, not might not, will not walk in darkness. You're in a cave, Carlsbad Caverns, let's say. Tour guide has the only flashlight. Follow him, you stay in the light. Follow anybody else. You're in the dark. It's a binary choice. Only one flashlight. Only one guy holding the flashlight. The closer you get to the tour guide, the closer you get to the light. The further from the tour guide, the more into the dark. Are we living in a culture that's following Jesus or not, would you say? 74% of millennials say truth is what works for them. 74%. Truth is what works for them. Only 24% of Americans believe the Bible is the literal Word of God. The number of Americans who say the Bible is myth has doubled in the last 20 years. Fastest growing religious demographic in America are those who have no religion. Earlier this year, Gallup reported that the percentage of Americans who have no membership in a church, synagogue, or mosque has fallen below 50% for the first time in American history. 
How's that working for us? As we stray further and further from the only one holding the flashlight, how's that working for us? Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Literally translated, the light that causes life. So, how do we follow the light? What practical things can we do today? They're pretty obvious. They're so simple, anyone can do it if they will, but we'll put them up on the board. First of all, Jesus says he's the light of the world. How do you walk in his light? Well, first of all, you stay close to him, obviously, right? Closer you get to the tour guide, the more you're in the light. At one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Friends, those are present tense imperatives. Those are commands. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. 1 John 1, this is the message we've heard from him and proclaim to you. God is light, in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Love this statement by Henry Blackaby. Jesus taught that your highest priority must be your relationship with him. If anything detracts you from that relationship, that activity is not from God. God will not ask you to do something that hinders your relationship with Christ. So how close would Jesus say you are walking to him today? It's an everyday decision, friends. You can't choose tomorrow today. Tomorrow doesn't exist. We've talked about this. How much does tomorrow weigh? What color is tomorrow? You only have today. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. So every single day, you've got a decision. Will I follow the tour guide or will I follow myself or somebody else? Every single day. You get in his presence at the start of the day. You get alone with him to read his word and to pray and to surrender to his spirit. Ask him to show you anything that's keeping you out of the light. You confess what comes to your thoughts. You get connected to the light. And then you stay in the light. You follow him through the day. When you have a decision, you pray about it. When you have a problem, you pray about it. When you're tempted, you pray about it. If you fall to temptation, you ask him to forgive you and cleanse you and dust you off and get you back into the light. You stay close to Jesus. You practice the presence of Christ. It's so simple. Anybody can do it. And so challenging. Everybody needs to do it. Right? How close would Jesus say you are to the light? Then second, you measure your proximity to Jesus by the degree to which you reflect Jesus. If I'm walking next to the tour guide, you're going to be able to see me in his light, right? If I'm off in the dark someplace, you can't see him and you can barely see me. The closer I am to him, the more you see him in me. And so Jesus says to his followers, you are the light of the world. That's the reflected light. You're not the source of the light. You're the moon to the sun. You're not a star. You're a planet. You don't have your own source of light. To the degree that you reflect his light, to the degree that you're a mirror or a moon reflecting a sun, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill. He was pointing up to Sophet when he says this. It's a city still there today. It's a thriving art community in Israel today. And where Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, we always go there and we do the sermon there, and I always point up there because right over Jesus' shoulder, right up there on that hill up there is the town of Sfad or Sophet, city on a hill. Cannot be hid. 
During the daylight, the whitewashed walls reflect the sun's rays, and at night, the lamps are obvious in the dark. City on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. They put it on a stand. It gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, commanded, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works. Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You can know how close you are to Jesus by the degree to which you're reflecting Jesus to others. Are people seeing Christ in you? Are people being drawn to Christ through you? That's a prayer. Lord, reflect Jesus in me. Reflect Jesus through me. Let somebody else see Jesus in me. I became a Christian at the age of 15. I've told you my story out of a bus ministry at a College Park Baptist Church in Houston, Texas, and started going to the 10th grade Sunday school there. Turned out the Sunday school teacher was the pastor's wife. Of all the classes in all the church where I could wind up, I wound up in Sharon Sewell's class. I consider that the providence of God. If you could meet Sharon Sewell, you'd know exactly what I mean. One of the most cheerful, most gracious, most joyful, most persistent people I have ever met. Started going to her Sunday school class, and then inevitably I get a call on Saturday making sure I was coming back on Sunday or letting me know the youth group was going here to go bowling or over there to go play tennis or over there to go to a movie. Wouldn't give up. Wouldn't give up. And every time I was around her, I saw something I didn't have. September 9th, 1973, after Sunday school, meeting in a house down the street from the church. The church was growing so fast they didn't have room for everybody. And so you always put the youth group down the street. I mean, you know, if you have to kick anybody off the campus, right, it's always a youth group. And so, I mean, you know, they'll meet anywhere. They'll do anything. And so we were meeting at the house of my friend, Mark Holmes, down the street from College Park Baptist Church on Beechnut there, meeting in their living room, had all these folding metal chairs there. And after Sunday school, I asked Mrs. Sewell, I didn't say, how can I be sanctified, justified, and redeemed? I, I, I didn't say, how can I have eternal salvation with God in heaven? I asked her, how can I have what you have? Those were my words. And we sat down right there, and she led me to pray a salvation prayer. Changed my eternity. There was a lady in the church, volunteered in the youth ministry named Barbara Williams. Remember Barbara Williams? We called her Willie. Worked at Houston Baptist University. I will always be grateful for Willie because when Janet's family got transferred to Houston from Los Angeles, she tried to go to University of Houston. They lost her transcripts twice by divine angelic appointment. I'm sure of that. Angel showed up and just deleted her transcripts. And then her father's down at the break room at IBM and telling the story about his daughter that's trying to go to school and they lose her transcripts, happens to be a graduate of Houston Baptist University in the break room who mentions to her father about this Houston Baptist University, not far from where they live, southwest Houston. And so she shows up there at the registrar's office, and there's Barbara Williams. And it was Barbara Williams' effervescence, her graciousness, her friendliness that impressed Janet. And said, come on in, we'll find the transcripts, don't worry about that. And then she walks into sophomore English, where I'm sitting in sophomore English. And the rest, as they say, is history. Now, it took a long time for that to become history. I mean, I had to ask her out five minutes between boyfriends, you know, but eventually, eventually that became history. Always be grateful for Barbara Williams. When Moses came down from the mountain, his face was shining and he didn't know it. I'm not saying you'll know it, you may not know it. But the closer you are to Jesus, the more people see Jesus in you. Last thought. 
intentionally, deliberately invite others into your light. Intentionally invite them into your light. I'm sending you to open their eyes, the Lord said to Paul, so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now, the culture says that if you invite someone to chapel or invite them to faith in Christ or share your faith in some way with them, or even say, God bless you in a shopping mall, or say you're praying for them or something, you're imposing your values on them. You're doing some horrible thing. You're imposing your beliefs on somebody else. You're being intolerant and narrow-minded and bigoted and prejudiced. It's what your lost, dark, fallen secular culture thinks. What you're actually doing is inviting them into the same light that's been given you. You're a beggar helping beggars find bread. You're giving them the greatest gift you could give them. You're the oncologist that found the cure for cancer. And why wouldn't you share it? That's what you're doing. I love this statement by A.W. Tozer. I love everything A.W. Tozer ever wrote, every word he ever wrote. But I love this statement. What's closest to your heart is what you talk about. And if God is close to your heart, you'll talk about him. So, if you want to walk in the light, you've got a choice here today, friends. You can walk in the light, you can walk in the dark. If you want to walk in the light, stay close to the light. Know that God will reflect his light through you and invite somebody to join you. So the question is, are you in the light or are you not? How close to the light are you? Tim Keller said, if God is not at the center of your life, something else is. So my senior year of high school, Sharpstown High School, I was a member of a thing called the Christian Student Union. We met in the auditorium balcony at the high school before school, a couple times a week. And uh, my senior year, I showed up with a group, of, I don't know, six, seven, eight students there. The door was locked. Janitors had just forgotten to unlock the door. We're just all kind of standing around, goofing around. I stuck my house key in the lock, and it opened the lock. So they made me the president of the Christian Student Union. Because now you think I'm making this up. I'm not making this up because my house key, for some strange, bizarre reason, opened the door to the balcony of the auditorium. So it must be ordained, right? Must be ordained. And so that's how I wound up being the president of the Christian Student Union in the CSU. And I'll tell you that to say, a little later in the school year, they had club day where all the presidents of the clubs get up and they pitch their club to the student body, trying to get people to come join their club. And so it came my turn to pitch the Christian Student Union to the assembly at Sharpstown High School in Houston, Texas. Someplace I'd heard a story. Don't know where I heard this story. A pastor, youth minister, someplace, I don't know. But I told this story to the assembly there. And from then till now, that would be in, I don't know, 1976 maybe? something. Some of you don't know there was a 1976, but nonetheless... Someplace in there, I don't know, 75, 76. I still remember it like it was yesterday because it's, I don't know if it meant anything to anybody else, but it so impressed me. You're in Carlsbad Caverns. There's been a cave-in. You're trapped. Immediately, people begin yelling for help. Some begin digging at the walls, the boulders, the stones. Others 
sit down passively, waiting, maybe giving up. You're digging at the walls along with everybody else. You happen to turn a direction no one's looked, and there's a ping prick of light way off in the distance. You make your way to it. Turns out it's an opening. Turns out it's big enough for you to crawl through to safety. You go back and you tell the other people that are trapped. And some believe you. And others don't. Some say there can't be. Can't be true. They keep yelling for help. They keep digging at boulders. They keep digging at the walls. They sit down in resignation. And you escape. And some others. And the others do not. You're no better than anybody else. The light was there for everybody. It's just you trusted the light. And you told somebody. Let's pray. Friends, you don't need me to tell you that you're in a cave. And it's a dark cave. But you also know there's light. Let me invite you to take your next step toward the light. If you were closer to Jesus' light than you are now, what would that mean? If you were closer to Jesus' light than you are now, what would that mean? Do that. Decide that. If it's something to confess, if it's something to stop, if it's something to start, if it's something to do, something to believe, something to accept, do whatever is your next step into the light. Make that choice right now. Now ask the Lord to put on your heart somebody who needs the light and pray for them right now. If you've not met the light, if you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, to forgive your mistakes and be your Lord, let me urge you to do that today. Get alone with the Lord. Just ask Him to forgive your sins. Ask Him to be your Lord. Then tell a Christian what you've done so they can help you grow in your faith. And if you've done that, Thank God for his light. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are still the light of the world, just as much today as when you first spoke those words. I thank you, God, that no room is too dark for you. I thank you that no one is too far from you. I thank you that everywhere your light shines, it wins. That the darker the room, the more obvious your light. That the darker the room, the stronger your light. The darker the room, the more compelling your light. The darker the room, the more urgent your light. Help me and us to walk in your light this week and help somebody else to see that light in us. I pray, God, for someone else to say, how can I have what you have? To me and to us, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Have a great week.